into Psalm 16. There's only 11 verses, so, so follow along. And in your bulletin, there's also an outline of the morning message. This is a, a psalm attributed to David. Uh, it's a psalm of confidence. There's a number of psalms written, Psalm uh, 4 and 11, this one being 16 and 18. Psalms written as David faces a terrible crisis and God sees him through. A path of life inevitably leads all of us to a fork in the road, to a crisis, to a situation that is beyond our understanding, our resources, our know-how. What do we do? I wonder what crisis you might be facing, what fork in the road you've already chosen a path on. If this is your first time with us, if if you're uh, not following with Jesus, if you would say, I'm not ready to, to go down that path that, that Rick and Ryan publicly proclaim today, I wonder, how do you manage life in a crisis? Uh, where do you turn to to find some sense of, of assurance that you're going to get through that hard time? What do you look forward to at the end of that road that you've chosen? If you are a believer in Jesus, we're not immune from crises, are we? So what do we do? Even now, even for some of us who are right at that fork in the road, what do we know what to do? We're going down a dark path. Well, this psalm is about David being, being in the midst and out of a terrible crisis. You look in your notes, you'll, say, you'll, you'll see that it says, Commitment to the Lord leads to a contentment in this present life and a confidence even in death. If we commit ourselves to the Lord, David says, then we can have a contentment that can see us through and a confidence to the very end. What I love us to do is just to look at the psalm. That's what we're doing this morning. And I've taken some notes, and maybe you can take some notes. And if you mark up your Bible, that's probably a good thing. I want you to look for key words, phrases. Put question marks if there's something that doesn't make sense to you. I worked through the psalm with, uh, with my men's group, and they actually gave me some good insights. So one of them asked me, Jason said, I wonder if some of the stuff we said is going to make it into your message. We'll see, Jason, because I don't have any manuscripts, so we'll just see what, what happens, okay? Let's, let's just begin from the beginning. Uh, a miktem of David. This is an inscription. We're not sure exactly what a, a miktem means exactly, but we do know that it shows up four out of six of these psalms that David speaks to a particular crisis, something terrible that was happening in David's life, some fork in the road. And then we have verse, verses 1 to 4 that show his commitment to the Lord. Verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. So some crisis that's happened, and, and he's saying, God, save my life. There must be even a chance that he might die in the midst of this. Preserve me. I take refuge in you. I say to the Lord, the, the covenant name of God, Yahweh, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Didn't we sing about that this morning already? I surrender all, all to you. My blessed Savior, all to you, Jesus, I surrender. And David's saying that here. He's saying, Lord, preserve me. I, I, I'm going to rush to you for refuge. And I'm saying to you, O covenant-making God, you are my Lord, 
and, and everything else counts for nothing as long as I have you. Verses 1 and 2. Now let's look at verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So David's commitment to the Lord is, is shown here. It's not just, a, just you and me, God. He brings in the community of believers. Didn't we notice that throughout all of our series this past month? How often the psalmist would look to all of the believers, that it wasn't just the psalmist and God, but it was the whole corporate nature of worship. And here he's saying, part of my commitment to the Lord is, I hang out with believers. The, the people I look up to, the people that I respect, the people that I want to emulate, the people that I want my kids to spend time with and be, uh, be raised up under, are the excellent ones, those that are also committed to you, O oh God. But conversely, look at the next verse. This is also part of David's commitment to the Lord. He speaks a word of wisdom. The sorrows of those who, who run after another God shall multiply. Things are just going to go from bad to worse because what? They're going down the wrong path, aren't they? Their sorrows will multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Raise your hand if you've been offered the opportunity to pour out a blood offering. Okay, good, because that's really, really odd, isn't it? But it's not so odd. Think about it. At this time, there were Israelites who were making double pledges. They would pledge to the Lord God and to pagan gods. They'd make it to synagogue. And then, well, you know, I've got some work going on, some situations with my fields I'm not sure about. Maybe, just maybe, I should pour out a special offering to this rain god or field god or what have you. That doesn't happen today, does it? As Christians, our commitment to the Lord is never challenged, is it? What are the gods of this time that we are challenged and, and maybe even encouraged? It's just kind of commonplace that we engage in. I'm going to step in it now. You buy lottery tickets? That's a god of this age. That's a big god of this age. Why do you buy a lottery ticket? Well, I'm going to do a lot of good for the Lord. I'm going to, no, no, I'm, I'm definitely going to give money to Nielsville and to a, to a school. I'm going to buy that Maserati someday, Lord. David says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to name it. I'm not going to have anything to do with these false things because, because I know where it's going to lead me. It's going to lead me away from my 100% commitment to the Lord. So, so that's what verses 1 to 4 speak to, the, the sense of, of assurance of his commitment to the Lord. Now let's look at verses 5 to 8. This speaks to the contentment a person can experience in knowing the Lord. And there, there are people here in our church right now, and I'm looking at them, I, I can't look at you in the eye because then I'll, I'll tear up. There are people that are facing terrible crises. Yet the degree of their faith in the midst of that crisis and in the midst of the unknown is inspiring. And it's because they've learned of what it means to be content in the Lord, to trust the Lord. Let's look at what David says here. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Let's just stop there. 
And maybe there's a word phrase or, or just a word that, that stands out to you. You can underline it. You might, maybe you're not sure what, what it means. So let's go back over it. My chosen portion, what might that be? Lines falling in, in good places, in pleasant places, a beautiful inheritance. What might that all reference? Well, we know that when the Israelites entered the promised land, at once things settled down and, and Joshua led all the battles, and when the battles were won, what happened? The land was, was uh, lotted out to all the tribes. Every tribe was given uh, a lot of land, and every family in each of those tribes was given an inheritance. Boundary lines were drawn out. Now we see, though, in, I think it's uh, Numbers 18, verses 20 and 21, there was one group, there was one tribe in Israel that did not receive an inheritance of land. Does anyone know what that is? The Levites. The Levites were the one tribe, these were the sons of Aaron, who were to be the priests. They were to lead the people in worship. All what we've just been talking about all of July, leading the people in corporate worship. And in Numbers 18, it says, the one tribe that will not receive physical property which we all love to have some physical property, right, in Upper Montgomery County, what a premium it is. The one tribe that doesn't receive that are the very people that are responsible for leading God's people in worship. What is their inheritance? What does it say? Moses is instructed by Yahweh to say to the Levites, the Lord will be your inheritance. The Lord God himself will be your inheritance. So no land, no townhouse, no cottage, no inheritance of physical property, but the Lord will be the one who supplies your every need in life. And David is identifying with that. David is saying, Lord, you could take away all the property and everything I have, but I have you. You are my inheritance. You are my chosen portion. For me, the lines have fallen in a pleasant place. The, the lines are invisible, but I have the Lord. What more do I need? This is what it looks like to be content with the Lord. You, you know, we could get wiped out on Monday. The stock market is over 22,000. And if you're trusting in that, good luck to you. Because you know the market's going to bounce back and it's all going to get wiped out eventually. It just happens. David's not looking at the market. His eyes are fixed on the Lord. There's another reference here. The Lord is my chosen portion and my what? Cup. Now that's a word worth underlining. Maybe, maybe do a word search on your own. What, where does cup show up in other places in Scripture? A cup in the Bible is a metaphor for one's destiny. The cup leads to your destiny. It can be a cup of wrath for the wicked. Whenever you see a cup reference as a cup of wrath, it's for the wicked, those that will be under judgment. But then there's also the other destiny, the cup of blessing that leads to, to new life and abundance. And David is relying that, that, yes, you are giving me a cup of blessing Oh God. So that's the cup that we're drawing on. This speaks to that, that sense of contentment. Verse 7, verse 7, 
and 8. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. When are you most stressed out when you're in a crisis? For me, it's, it's 4 in the morning. It's still nighttime for most of us. Well, actually, for those who have to commute, it's probably your, your wake-up time. But in the night, you give me counsel. Also, my heart, funny thing about Hebrew, when we think of heart, the word is actually kidneys. It really translate, I, I give you my kidneys, I give you my heart, but a sense of your will, your, your, your passion, what, you know, your, your operating system would be your heart, or in Hebrew, it's kidneys. And night also, my heart instructs me. So it's nighttime, it's dark, but, but he's relying on what he knows of the Lord. He's relying on what he's studied from God's word. And in that moment, the spirit of God and the word of Torah comes to his mind and he rehearses, this is who I am in God and, and he is holding me. He has a plan for me. He will see me through. He will give me counsel. Verse eight, I've set the Lord always before me. So there's a constant awareness of God's goodness and grace. And think about that in the midst of a crisis when you're crowded with all the information. Here are the facts. Well, one of the biggest facts is, but, but God is for me. I'm going to have him always in front of me in the midst of this crisis. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at what? At my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Now, none of us here are are warriors, but, but think of, of, of a warrior holding a shield and, and a sword. And, and which hand would you carry the, the sword in? Your, your strong hand, your right hand? And which one would have the, the shield, your left? So the shield is here, you're, pr- you're protecting yourself here, and then you have your sword here, but there's no protection here. This is just an offensive weapon. So your buddy would be standing to your right to protect you with his shield. And so on and so forth. And so he's saying, as a warrior that David was, the Lord has my blind side. The Lord's watching out for me. That's where my contentment comes from. Verse 9. Big word. Big transition. Huge. Therefore. Therefore. Underline. My heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. Choices. What was our series all about this past month? A journey to joy. That's beyond happiness. That's beyond just a good feeling. There's just, just a sense of, of confidence that one could rejoice. That God's going to see me through this. And that's what David's saying. God's going to see all of me, my whole being, holistic. He, he's got it all covered. And so I can rejoice. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. That's the place of the dead uh, for the Hebrews. Or let your Holy One see corruption. So he's just, it's like a couplet. He's, he's adding to it. You won't see my soul go down to that depth or my, your Holy One see corruption. There, there's a sense of contentment that God's going to see me through this crisis and the next one and the next one. I'm going to trust the Lord. This is a real imminent danger that he's in, that he has faced, and God has seen him through. So then verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
So we shifted from the right hand in the sense of, of a guard to now the right hand by God's, in God's presence. You call me to be at your right hand, David, the king, the anointed one, the chosen one. And he knows that his future is secure in God. This psalm started with David feeling like a refugee. And it ends with him being reminded that he is an heir. How do you feel this morning? Do you feel more like a refugee? Lost, confused, no place to call home? Your future's uncertain? You're stuck? That's what refugees feel like. You're labeled? You feel like there's a label on you? A bad, negative label? Or do you feel like an heir? That you know God is for you and with you. That he knows your true identity as his beloved one. Where do you feel? Where do you think you are between those two extremes? This is the best part. So a psalm like this, we could end right there and say, wow, we, we, we kind of done did it, right? I want to be feeling like an heir. I, I want to make the choices that lead me down a path that leads to life and contentment and confidence. Great, thank you, Pete. Can we please go home now? But wait, there's more. Whenever we've gone through these psalms this whole month, we've looked at the psalm in its context and what was happening at that time, but then we always shoot forward to say, what does this tell us about Jesus? And this is the fascinating part that I want you to hear. This psalm is quoted twice in the New Testament. And so the apostles, Peter and Paul, give it a new interpretation and a much richer and deeper understanding. The first reference is here in, in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, and Peter and the, and the apostles uh, emerge speaking in all the tongues of the, the men who are there in Jerusalem from, from all the lands, and they are hearing in their own voice this good news, this gospel message. And Peter rallies their attention, and he tells them who Jesus Christ is. He reminds them that this Jesus of Nazareth was the one that you crucified, but he is the Savior, the promised one. And as he's preaching, he quotes from, from here in, in Acts 2, 25, verse 25, for David says concerning him. So Peter says, when David wrote this psalm long, long ago, he didn't even know, even as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it, that he was writing about Christ who was to come. David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. So Peter says to them, all that was promised to David as king has now been fulfilled in Jesus, your true king. He says David is now asleep with his fathers, a.k.a. he's dead. But Jesus is alive again. And 3,000 were converted in one day. Then we jump to Acts chapter 13. This time it's Paul. He's preaching in Antioch in the synagogue on a Saturday morning to, to, to people that would understand Scripture, who had studied Scripture. 
He says to them, therefore, he says also in another psalm, he had just quoted David once before, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. We just heard that, didn't we? David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And Luke goes on to write that they were all blown away by this. That's Pete's interpretation. They wanted to hear more. They said, please come back next week. And there was such a huge uproar in the city. And there were those that pushed against it. So there's a larger interpretation. David faced a crisis. Imminent death. But God saw him through that crisis. And he lived another day. But Jesus came and not only faced death, he went through it and died for our sins. David had another day where he could say, I am content in the Lord. I have confidence in the future God has for me because he is with me forever. But the father delivered his son over to those who would crucify him for your sake, for mine, and for the world. So the crisis that you face today, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, Take refuge in him. Turn to him even now before we come to the table of foretaste of the kingdom to come where we will be at his right hand. Come and, and take refuge in him. Back it up. Back it up out of that crisis fork road. You're going the wrong way. If you are a believer in Jesus, renew and deepen your faith this psalm, Psalm 16, and others like it, are songs of confidence. Make Jesus your sole treasure in this life. Your Lord, reminded that he is the one who went to Hades to bring us home. And now he lives. Let's pray. Lord God, some of us here are in the midst of a crisis. We're at a fork in the road. We don't know what to do. Some of us here, Lord, feel like a refugee, labeled, uncertain, with nothing in our pocket, no backup, no family, no sense of identity here. Well, God, we pray that you would come and do a mighty work in our hearts and in our lives in this hour. For God, if there's anyone here who has not given their life to you, Holy Spirit, grab a hold of their hearts, arrest their hearts in this moment, that they may know that a commitment to you means contentment in this life and confidence in the life to come. And so, Lord, for those of us who have made that, that commitment, may we not try to emulate David I think, well, I guess we could be like, like a David. He's my hero. No, may we look higher to the empty cross and the empty tomb. Our identity is now sealed and secure as heirs, co-heirs with Christ. 
by his finished work on the cross. So God, prepare us to come to this table. We are thankful for your invitation to it. This invitation that you give to all, regardless of nationality or race or age or position, you invite us to come, one and all, to this table. May God, this be an opportunity for us to commune with you, a means of your grace. Amen. Please join me in the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Lord, it is right to give our thanks and praise this morning as we come to this table that you have set for us. We invite you here, O God, by your Holy Spirit to minister to your people in a powerful way. O God, we do not come to this table lightly, but we confess to you our sin. Even this day, Lord, even this hour, we have sinned against you. I have sinned against you, Lord, and in the distractions of mine. I pray, O God, that you would forgive, you would reconcile, you would bring us back to be very present here and now for the celebration of this holy supper that you have given to us. And so, God, we pray the great prayer of thanksgiving, saying, Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and cup, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ and with all who share this feast, united in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, Send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. Amen. When our Lord gathered with his friends, he gave thanks and he took the bread and broke it, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Brothers and sisters, we know that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim his saving death and resurrection until he comes again. King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is coming soon. I'd like to invite our elders and deacons who will be serving to please come forward now. As we distribute the elements, this is your opportunity not only to be blessed, but to be a blessing, to, to hand the, the bread to the person next to you and bless them and saying to them, this is a, the bread of heaven or this is Christ's body given for you. And we'll invite us to, to hold the bread together and we'll, we'll take it all at the same time sim symbolizing our, our unity in Christ. That we are one body and one spirit and one church family. And then the cups will be, be passed and you may consume that as you feel so led. These are the gifts of God for the people of God.